Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Eric Herring. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, sure. I am the Chief Technology Officer of Vinyl. Uh, Vinyl is a product development firm. We work mostly in uh, highly regulated spaces like healthcare, uh, health technology, fintech, uh, and you know where all that stuff comes together in the insurance world. Nice, and uh, I imagine you have quite a few developers that you you work with at, at Vinyl. Absolutely, we've got a pretty large team. We're at any given time working on several different projects. We're about uh, sixty or so people now. Most of those are engineers, and my career for the last 20 years has really been about building and, and uh, running and, and mentoring teams of engineers. Awesome. So was there a particular shift? Because I think you, you, know, you yourself uh, also had a, um, you know, a lot of roles as, a, as an engineer. Was there a particular shift that made you uh, think more about management and um, I guess, the, those types of structuring teams? Funny story, yeah. Um, actually, I never had any designs on being a manager. Um, I spent my 20s in Denmark, uh, variously going to school and founding companies and working for various organizations in that 10 years. And the culture there is very different. Um, there's not a... Uh, there's not a relentless drumbeat to advance. Uh, many people spend their entire careers, you know, just making finger quotes. You can't see that, of course, on the audio, but, uh, you know, being just engineers. Uh, and they're very happy with it. It's a completely acceptable career choice. And so I wasn't really steeped in this whole, you know, got to advance, got to get a title. But I came back uh, after spending the majority of my 20s in Denmark. Uh, I came back to the States and got an individual contributor job just to, you know, remember how to be an American technology worker. Uh, in, in retrospect, that's exactly what I was doing. I didn't think of it in quite those terms at the time, but, but I did that for about six months. Uh, and in that time we moved um, to California like, like like the Clampets, I guess, for anybody who still gets that reference, uh, California is the place you want to be. So we, we packed up and went to California and, you know, modulo a few months of misadventures, uh, trying to figure out where, where in, in the Southern California area we wanted to live. I ended up sitting in a car while my wife was interviewing uh, at a company, at a startup, uh, not, not so startup, at a design firm. Um, a creative agency, I guess it mm -hmm. was. Um, and it turned out that they had big ambitions to become a technology firm as well. And she made the you know mistake or happy accident of mentioning that I was sitting in the car and they came out and like six or seven of them like walked up to the car. I'm wearing flip-flops and shorts <laughs> um, and a t-shirt. And they're like, your wife told us that you're a chief technology officer. <laughs> And I said some version of why that's correct, sir. <laughs> and uh, we got on well. Uh, I interviewed well. 
uh, I guess in retrospect, I already was, you know, a little bit of a, a, a leader, but mostly in the sense of I liked mentoring people. I liked being that person. And so I think, you know, whatever, whatever happened there, I think that came across, they hired me. Mm-hmm. And so I was in 1998 tasked with building kind of a limitlessly big technology department. I, I literally hired 75 engineers in that year, which is one of the most brutal talent markets. You, you probably recall yeah. um, one of the most brutal talent markets ever. Wow. Um, um, you know, up to and including today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I got it done. And, you know, I, I tell people that uh, I'm very gratified that some of the people who worked for me will still speak to me. <laughs> you know, not everybody can say that. Uh, so so the, there's two things out of that, that that I'm curious about. So already at that time, you really, you really liked mentoring people. What what is it about, um, yeah, w- what was it about mentoring that you liked? What was your experience with it that, that made you want to continue to focus on that? I mean, I think ultimately, if I'm honest uh, with myself and, and now with, with you on national television, so to speak, uh, I, you know, I, I guess it's ultimately selfish. You know, I like, I like being the person who has some answers, you know, nobody has all the answers, but I like being the one who has some answers and can present them in a way that people can understand. Mm-hmm. And I've always, I've always had a talent for understanding what's actually important in a given situation. Uh, not, not every given mm-hmm. situation, but in technology, certainly I, I, I have a good feeling for, for what the important things are and not important things are. And it turns out that the, the important things are most often not where to put the semicolons or which language <laughs> to use or, you know, whether Linux, Linux versus Windows or anything like that. They're mm-hmm. almost always to do with interpersonal skills mm-hmm. and the, the things you decide to take on or not and how you are useful to others, mm-hmm. uh, you know, n- narrowly and broadly. Could not agree. Could not agree more. And I do think that that is uh, that is a very very useful skill to to cultivate. And so when you're when you're saying that you like to you you like to have the answers um, or provide the answers, is that is that a just like a, a competence thing that the that is like a, like a feel good thing, or is that kind of like the best way to make sure that you understand something is to is to teach. I think a lot of people believe in in that being important to them, that to, to crystallize and clarifying their own thinking. They can't just do it in a vacuum. Or is there some some other thing that you like about it? Yeah, I mean, a little from column A and a little from column B, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. cer- certainly. You know, the more practice you have at processing these things and hearing other people's perspectives and, you know, hopefully helping them to gain insight into their own situation and then hearing back, you know, whether they did or didn't do what you, you know, told them to, you know, advise them to do or told them to think about, you know, you, you learn from all of that. I learned from all of that, I'll say. Um, and so that's important to me because my understanding of how people and, and organizations 
uh, work and and how both of those things interact with software systems to create you know business or societal value that that all evolves over time right and so there's definitely that component you know I, I guess also I'm probably I'm, I'm deeply uncomfortable saying I just like to help people um, although I think that's also true it just it sounds so pious and self-righteous but 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 I do I like to help people you know and and I don't get offended when they don't want the help um, I try not to get offended. Sometimes I'm a little more invested than other times, but I try not to get offended when they, you know, don't, don't do the thing I advise them to do or think about the thing I advise them to think about or when they reject my perspective, you know, and, and then I try to be happy if it works out for them anyway. And, you know, I try to be supportive if it doesn't. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's always interesting, right? So, so junior or senior now has a mentorship program. And so we, um, we just kicked it off. So a lot of the mentees have been paired with the mentors and, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think on one hand you do, you do hope that a mentee has their own perspectives and, and their own, um, they're capable of making their own decisions. On the other hand, I think when when you do have a mentee mentorship relationship, you do want the mentee to have like a very open mind. And if the mentor with a lot more experience and, and a lot more uh, success, you know, behind them recommends something, you really do hope that the the mentee is going to try it and not dismiss it out of hand. And I think there is definitely a a balance there that I don't don't know if there's a particularly uh, right answer, but it is it is kind of tricky. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I always have to be careful not to end up in in the um, you know there's a headspace of respect my authority, right? <laughs> um, and, and and it's not a useful headspace to be in when you're trying to help people, you know, especially yeah. if they're tussling with something that's difficult for them. Of course, yeah. And, and and doubly so if it's something that's difficult for them, but that you, you know, is no longer, you know, never was or is no longer difficult for you because you've just been through it so many times or, you know, just personality wise, it never bothered you or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a fellow I talked to recently, he's a little further along in his career, but I guess junior to senior works at any level in your career, honestly. And, and he's a little further along and, you know, he, he was actually looking for tips on, you know, how to make some difficult interpersonal dynamics work and whether he should try and exert influence on whether they brought in a boss for him, and other stuff like that. And, and, and it was a good question, right? I mean, there, he, he was at a level where that was a good question for him to be thinking about. And what I told him, you know, after listening carefully and asking, you know, a bunch of questions, making sure I really felt like I had a handle on it. I told him, I said, you need a new job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was not yeah. not what he was expecting. I think that's also hear. yeah, that's also a difficult one just to expect somebody to immediately act act on. It's like, oh, okay, well, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and exactly, and 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 he didn't, and you know, he's working through it, and you know, I still think that he got something out of that, but you know, I would have made a different choice. So all I can do is watch and, and be happy with whatever success he ends up out of that and, and be happy with whatever small part. Yeah. I have in it. So I guess, totally. I guess, I guess that's where <laughs> I net out. And, um, to go back, there was, there was another thing that I found, uh, really interesting. What, what you were saying before is that, yeah, in that, in that tough labor market, hiring over 70, 75, uh, engineers, um, that, 
was that something that you had done before or was that that yeah so that was new to you how how did you learn to do that how did you is there anything you attribute success to um i assume you you found it difficult to do and easier as it went on but can you talk a little bit about how you figured out how to do that and then also kind of related to that because i think a lot of our interest our our listeners would be interested is is also shed a little bit of insight into to your perspective and what you were thinking um because i think that would be useful to to people who who are on the other side of the table uh about hiring in particular you mean or yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so no i had no idea how to do that and until time machines are invented, I'll never be able to go back and figure <laughs> out if I was even close to optimal. Uh, all, all I know is is I got it mostly done. And I tackled it just like I tackle any problem, which you know I I recommend to everyone while understanding it's not for everyone. And that is, you know i I got a pile of books and I got a pile of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I got the books from wherever book recommendations came from in 1998. Sometimes um, friends. <laughs> sometimes friends, exactly. Uh, and I got my friends for the most part from an organization I was fortunate enough to be a, a co-founder slash early member of, called the Los Angeles CTO Forum. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you're familiar with with those guys, and they mm-hmm. are a terrific group of people. We've been meeting once a month for 20 years. And one of the things I would tell everyone who is listening to this, thinking about how to take the next step is fi- find, your, find your tribe of people uh, and, and be diverse mm. in who you include in that group. Oh, I think yeah. that's so important. Uh, I do too. Um, because those people that I met you know, 20 some odd years ago and uh, 23 years ago and who I've been, you know, seeing and talking to very often over that time, uh, they, they saved me, you know, they had all sorts of good insights. I didn't always take their advice, (laughs) Um, but I always listened and, and they always were willing to give me more whether or not I took their advice. And they were, they, they were happy to hear when I did something different and succeeded and they were happy to console me and reiterate their advice when I didn't take it and failed. And, and then, you know, that plus every book I could find on hiring. I don't like most hiring books, by the way, uh, which transitions, I guess, into your second question. Yeah. Why do you do most of them say something that you disagree with or what's the what's the reason? I think they are insufficiently practical for someone who has never tackled the problem before. Mm. I feel like a lot of books on hiring are targeted towards somebody who's been doing it, you know, mostly mostly right with support from an HR function mm. and you know stuff like that for, you know, some amount of time. Then I think you can glean something from them. Mm-hmm. The the most useful hiring book uh, I found at the time was called Hiring Smart. Uh, it's still a good book, uh, but what I mostly took away from it, I, I couldn't actually summarize the book for you anymore, but I can tell you what I took away from it, which was prepare, prepare, prepare. 
you know, prepare a packet, have prepared questions, make sure that the different people who are going to be interviewing don't repeat the same questions. You know, it's also one of the reasons why, you know, later on when we all became, you know, belatedly more aware of the effect of the hiring process on diversity and whatnot, it's why, you know, my hiring process, and this is complete luck, by the way, I'm not claiming any credit here, but my process was already pretty resilient to bias because of, you know, we weren't blinding or anything, all the stuff that you, you know, the extra stuff that you absolutely need to do, but we did have prepared questions and we didn't deviate and Mm -hmm. we did everything the same with everybody, you know? And so any bias there was in that process was at least evenly distributed. Yeah. It's very important to have a standardized approach. I mean, for, for Superstruct, my company does a ton of hiring and one of the things that, that, I believe in strongly is is systematized like like crazy. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um and that was very yeah, important. Yeah, I think we I, never would have gotten through it otherwise. Yeah, and I do think I think that also certainly helps with a lot of bias stuff, which uh, a lot of bias things will come up ad hoc with the the winging it in response to to whoever's in front of you. And it's just nice to have a something that that, that fights against that. So the, okay, so prepare, prepare, prepare. I think it's just generally good advice, I think, for almost everything too. Uh, what else, yeah, what else um, What else helped you through it or, or how did you get better at it? I mean, like with anything, we, we, we talked a lot about how the process was going. I think people in general in American society are raised thinking that you're not allowed to say certain things. And I think the list of things you're not allowed to say is unique and different for each person <laughs> in some funny way. There, there's thematic sameness, right? But, but, but the truth is the key to hiring, the key to feedback, the key to actually every work relationship, and maybe personal relationships too, but I'm only talking about work ones right now. The, the key to all of those relationships is, you know, from a kind place, telling the truth to people. And, and I think that the, re- the way this bears on hiring um, is that I think if you can be very disclosive, very forthcoming about what you're trying to accomplish, both to the people who are helping you interview as well as the candidates, and if you can give immediate feedback on what you think fits and what you think doesn't fit, it all creates a virtuous cycle. I've had people that I had no intention of hiring who sent their friends to interview because they liked the process. They felt like we were shooting straight. They felt like, you know, it wasn't a fit. They also felt rightly, because this is 100% true, they felt like, you know, I was going to, you know, put put them put them in a pile. Um if I told them I was going to, obviously, it was going to put them in a pile and when I needed a, you know, a whatever that was type of person that they were going to get a call and a lot of them did over time, right? What's so funny about this is is so many people hate interviewing and 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 job seeking that this almost sounds like someone's saying like, wow, you know, that was like the the best root canal I ever had. I should go <laughs> see this person. <laughs> yeah, no, that's there's a lot of truth in that. Um, 
it's a it's not a it's not necessarily a fun process and it's not something that you're doing always because you you know it, it's your preferred thing to do that's a that's a very fair point um but anyhow I, i've always found that, that that has has you know served me well i even one time had somebody i told i was absolutely not gonna hire i, I just told i i knew and so i told them you know um i said look you're not you're, you're not ready you're not you're not qualified you know there's other places for you, but this is not it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but that was what I essentially told the fellow. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember he sent one of his friends. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty high praise. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was pretty happy about that piece of it. I guess that's why I haven't thought about that in a long time. Mm -hmm. I I guess that's why I'm spending so many, so many precious minutes of the podcast (laughs) on it. I, I, I I had forgotten that whole aspect of the process. Look, I mean, yeah, I think, I think that's something that, that if you're listening and you are at this level, that's something that you should strive for, right? It's, it's, it's bigger than just the one interaction, that one iteration. And if you're doing, I think, I think that really shows that you are doing a good job. If you're doing it right, then you can even use the people that, that you reject, which is usually something that they are not, uh, it does not really um, encourage them to turn around and reciprocate with a effectively a favor. Um, but if you're doing it right, that that can certainly that can certainly happen. So what were you what were yep. you looking for? Like, how do you how did you know someone was right? How did you know someone was was not right and that they should leave and go recommend a friend to you? I mean, I'm sure that's the piece I got most wrong out of everything because that's such a hard, you know, judging talent from an interview process is such a tricky proposition. Um, And and talent's even the wrong word. Uh, Ability to do a job from the interview process Mm -hmm. is, uh, is such a tricky proposition. And there's no way really you know, as humans, as as squishy brained humans, Mm -hmm. um, there's no real way we can keep out all the bad stuff around, you know, the, is this person going to be pleasant to work with? Are they going to be a fit to culture? You know, God, mm. God, God, God save me from fit to culture. Right. But, mm. um, <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's what you do as a human, right? You're like, well, do I want to have lunch with this person? And so that is kind of the the baseline to the entire process, unfortunately, and you have to fight against that. And so I assume that I was not as aware of that 23 years ago, and I assume I didn't do a good enough job fighting against that. And so mm-hmm. I also assume I let a lot of people go through that process uh, or told them that I didn't think they were going to be good for us or you know, told them I thought they might be good for a different job, but not the one I was interviewing for or whatever the possibilities mm-hmm. were, right? I assume there were a lot of those people that should have gotten a harder look and that I should have brought in the process. I also have had very different ideas about um, willingness to train and amount of time to being productive and whatnot, because the task mm-hmm. I had at that time was not, you know, build an organizational capability and, you know, make sure it's sustainable. It was, we have projects coming down the pike. You know, these people have to hit the, you know, hit the chairs and start typing on the keyboards. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't really have investment funds or, Mm -hmm. or hours. uh, Exactly. You know, whereas, whereas in other organizations, you, you might have a lot, you know, and there might be a lot of like return on investment for, for doing that, 
for for training them up but yeah but sometimes you don't you don't always you don't always have that so it's interesting you mentioned that that it, it, it looking back or or just recognizing as a general principle humans interviewing candidates are going to be susceptible to particular biases about you know is this person someone I'd want to have lunch with and and you know be friends with and that that influences the hiring decision maybe more than it should I guess I've got two things there which is how important do you think those things are because you do have to work with them and so I mean I think it'd be very difficult to work with someone who you kind of can't stand socially at all and then um, the other the other question I have is is that just something that you recommend knowing that that is a, a bias or, or a susceptibility? Is that something that you would recommend to people applying to jobs is, is like, yes, certainly concentrate on, on your competence, but because we're humans and our brains are, are, are susceptible, also make sure that you are uh, working on your, you know, charisma to the extent that that can be improved. How do you feel about either of those things? Well, so I'll do the second one first. I'm not going to claim that this, what I'm about to say, is a super well thought out opinion, although it feels true. It feels true and correct to me right now, given the question you just asked. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I think about that. Uh, and that is that I think this problem in the hiring process, if it is a problem, I think it is, but you know, some people might disagree with me. Um, there are plenty of people who think culture fit is, you know, one of the main criteria. Uh, they are they are mostly people uh, that I I call a rude name, uh, mm -hmm. Sil Silicon Valley followed by a rude word. Um, <laughs> um, okay. And and so you know those people are going to be who they are, right? And so I think it's somewhat a self healing problem if the candidates remember that there are fewer of them than are needed, fewer candidates than are needed, which is, you know, the, the way you mathematically reassure yourself that they need you more than you need them. And so, you know, I think you should be on your best behavior, but I also think it should be the behavior that you intend to exhibit every day working together with these people. Um, because they should know what they're going to get too. And I think you should let them as a candidate, I think you should let your interviewer tell you who they are, mm, you know, they, point. they, the person, they, the company, and, and you should listen to them, right? You shouldn't leave an interaction and think, wow, you know, that seems like a real tech bro kind of culture, but I'm sure <laughs> they'll be better when I get there. They, they won't, they won't, you know, and, and if you're feeling like giving them a, you know, a, a pass or a second chance, then address it. You know, and that's the other thing I guess I would say is I think all candidates should remember, you know, back, back to back to my comment about we're taught there's things we can't say to people. Mm -hmm. Well, we're taught that when you're a candidate, you just, you know, can't address certain issues. You can't talk about certain things because you're the supplicant. You're coming, mm -hmm. you know, asking for something. And that's not what it is, right? It's yeah. You need to you need to process. conform to like fit the space. Like you need to contort to to you know how they how they need you. Yeah, and and I I think that that causes a lot of misfit. You know, it causes a lot of um, 
it caused a lot of issues down the line. And I think it is better for everybody to know what they're getting in that respect, just like I said before. But but the other way too, right? You can you can tell your second interviewer that you thought the first person was a little bit of a tech bro. You know, if that's something that bothers you. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be rude about it. You shouldn't be rude about it, right? Remember, be, mm-hmm. be tell the truth, but be kind, right? And mm-hmm. so just saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best Gen Z impression, which is gonna be terrible <laughs> because I'm definitely not, right? But like, you know, I, I, I think you should acknowledge the fact that, you know, all the all the cultural, all the kind of cultural memes that are going around. I think you've gotta, you know, I think you've gotta set the table in a way that you might not share the exact same reference as your interviewer. Often your interviewer is gonna be somebody my age, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and 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 you definitely don't share a lot of cultural reference, but you you say, look, you know, I I, I don't want to, I don't want you to think I'm overly sensitive, you know, or anything like that. But like, it wasn't an entirely pleasant experience that last interview, and the specific reasons are A, B, and C. And I guess I want to hear your perspective on how the company deals with, you know, E, F, and G. And, and you're allowed to do that. Sorry, that was a lot of words to say. You're allowed to do that. No, I think that's really important. I think, I think where a lot of people struggle is how do, you, how do you say that in a way that is kind? And how do you say that in a way that is, is truthful? Yeah, how do you say that in a way that's truthful and kind? And I, I think, I think you, you definitely did it in an artful way that, that I hope listeners can take something away from i mean i think from my perspective is you're you're pretty much always allowed to say how something made you you feel like those types of statements aren't really up for debate and you if you do it in a in a decent way you're you're not you're not making a judgment about another person or or something else like you're you're kind of allowed to state what happened in a in a sort of more, you know, to the extent that it's possible, objective way, and then say how it made you feel, and then ask a question about, you know, the future, you know, is, is that something that I'm like to likely to experience in the future? Or, you know, is this, is this the way that you do things or something like that? I, I, I think that is totally, that's totally fair game. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's probably also a worthwhile exercise, you know, because the interviewing process is a little bit fraught with all sorts of, you know, all, all sorts of uh, dynamics and emotions, right? I, I, I think it's also worth taking a second and, you know, making sure that you, you know, in that situation as a candidate, that you're not, you're not feeling things too deeply, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, also don't gaslight yourself, you know? If the interviewer <laughs> makes a slightly off-color joke to see if you're going to laugh at it, like you've got to decide if that's the culture you want to be in. It's okay if the answer is yes, and it's okay if the answer is no, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and you probably, you know, you probably don't want to tell the next person, "Hey, Bob made an off-color joke, and it made me super uncomfortable." But there's a way to address it, and there's a way mm-hmm. to address it that moves the ball forward if that's what you want. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So okay. So so going back, like how. It sounds like you really don't like the phrase culture fit. Um, 
that how how important is it to you? I imagine there is some kind of line, you know, if there's somebody who who even if they do incredible work, uh, you you would not be able to work productively with them. That that's somebody that you wouldn't hire. I could imagine somebody is is wildly you know, well-known and productive and all of these things, but just would not be able to, 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 I guess, for lack of a better word, fit in with the culture. Like they, they, their values would be, would be too different. The one that I always go to is I, I could imagine the most archetypical move fast and break things engineer coming into an organization that is very much measure measure twice, cut once, everything needs to be perfect because you don't get a second chance at a first impression type of culture. Um, so where do you, yeah, like how do you, how do you land on that? Because I imagine there is some aspect of culture and values that matters to you. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess my biggest objection to the entire concept of culture fit. And and by the way, the tens or hundreds of thousands of words have been written on this topic by people a lot better and smarter, you know, better at speaking <laughs> and smarter than me. Um, and, and they're they're mostly all worth reading, um, mostly. But I'll say I think that culture, the word culture, just does a lot of work in the phrase culture fit. And I think it's much more important that you have a values fit. I think it's much more important that you have a norms and practices fit. You know, I think it's much more important that you have a temperament fit. Mm. And, and all of those things are kind of subsumed into the word culture. Mm. You know, I but culture it. also subsumes things like was in a fraternity, went went to an, an Ivy or or quasi Ivy school, or, you know, went to coding summer camp every year as a child, you know, all of these things that encode, as we say these days, things that encode privilege, right? And it's not that you can't make a good company mm -hmm. by enforcing that kind of culture fit. You know, I think we have evidence that you can make a financially successful company, but I think the company is ultimately more brittle. And I think the products it makes are more inbred. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, monoculture and yeah. Interesting. So, so I think we should all be striving just, you know, from a societal interest perspective, I think we should be striving not to have that kind of culture fit. Right. But mm -hmm. but if we are a measure twice cut once company, then that's a norm. Right. That's a practice. It's potentially mm -hmm. even, you know, rises to the level of a value, you know, mm -hmm. tell the truth, you know, be 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 nice. Do your best work. Right. Always think about the client, you know, put yourself in the client's shoes. These are all value statements. Right. And if mm -hmm. I'm interviewing somebody for vinyl and you know i think that they are going to be terrible interacting with our clients i'm going to press on that really hard and if it turns out that my conclusion is you know great great engineer disaster at talking to clients then they're probably not going to get hired yeah 
And that, well, that makes a lot of sense. So what else? Yeah. What? Uh, so can you go a little bit more into that? So let's let's say you are interviewing someone for for vinyl, an engineer. What what are you looking for? Like what is there sort of the archetype or, or particular qualities of of a really good engineer that you look for? I mean, we're still of a size that we are almost always looking for a particular set of skills or a reasonable belief that the candidate can pick them up fairly quickly as a starting point. You know, one of these days uh, we, we might be to a size where we're strictly hiring for, you know, raw ability and you know, demonstrated experience solving hard problems, because I, I do think that tech stacks are ephemeral and, and, you know, deployment scenarios are ephemeral and even processes are ephemeral. Um, you know, everybody thinks agile has been around forever, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's less, it's less old than, than my executive career. Yeah, totally. So, you know, we might get to a point where we're just looking for all those kind of you know, raw things that can become whatever is needed and prioritizing, um, you know, the values fit and, and other things I talked about. But right now we usually start from a place of, okay, we need somebody who can work in, you know, AWS serverless environment and, you know, understands how to work with a front end team that's dealing with React and, you know, whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we suss out the rest of it, right? We, we spend as little time as possible making sure that they really can do those things. You know, that they, as I like to say, they weren't just standing next to somebody who did them at another job. <laughs> right, on the team that. Exactly. Yeah, no, very, very bad. Um, don't, don't want those people. But once we've done that, then we spend the rest of the time just, you know, making sure that, Actually, I haven't talked about this. I'm actually really interested in convincing myself that the person is going to like and be mentally, you know, mentally stimulated by the project they're going to be working on. Mm. Uh, what, what's what's the, what's the California advertisement? Ha- ha- happy cows make happy milk, or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I know I do my best work. Uh, when, when I'm when I'm happy, and you know the inevitable setbacks feel less setbacky, and you know all that good stuff, because that all contributes to stability. It contributes to harmony. M- many companies try to pretend they're not important. I think, and I think they do that to their detriment and to our detriment. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we're a mission-driven company. No, you're not. You. <laughs> <laughs> you you have a mission, but you use that to accomplish business goals that you have, uh, and 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 oftentimes you use it to convince people they shouldn't be paying too much attention to other things that you're doing that maybe are not so optimal or not so good for your employees. Interesting. Yeah. So so I liked what what you were saying. Like, so you're you're looking for people who. I mean, you didn't say this, and I'm not actually sure it's the same thing, but. But it's almost like you want people who are just going to fall in love with the problem, like the things that you're trying to solve. Um, they're going to be motivated to get to the solution, even with the um, sort of un- unavoidable uh, pitfalls and setbacks and and things like that. Uh, would you agree that 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 you find that to be kind of just 
really one of the things that that is important? And if so, how do you suss that out? And then how can if somebody, let's say there's interviewing, like, is there something that they would be able to do, assuming it's correct, to to show that that's something that that they care about? Or is it something that's just kind of it's going to happen anyway and they don't need to think about it? So I think that falling in love with the problem is on the far right hand side of the spectrum of, I think it's a spectrum, you know, to, you know, Mm -hmm. on the one end being completely repulsed by the problem to falling in love with the problem, you know, and, (laughs) and it's okay if you're somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. for for me, if I'm making a hiring decision, it's okay if you're somewhere in the middle, you know, what, whatever that notional center line is, you should probably be to the right of it and not to the left of it. Right. You know, but the ideal, of course, would be that that you fall in love with the problem and, you know, bring your best self to solving it every day in a way that's good for everyone, right? Because that is good for everyone. That's good for you because you feel good. It's good for the client because the client gets amazing software and technical solutions to their problems. And it's, you know, ultimately good for the company because we have happy clients and we have happy employees. And when people are happy, everything is happier, <laughs> right? Yep. Fewer tense conversations when everybody's happy. Yeah, I think that truer words have never been spoken. Uh, Eric, uh, thank you so much. This has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm interesting in all, and you're welcome to go to my LinkedIn. It's just Eric Herring uh, on LinkedIn. Um, but honestly, uh, go and check out vinyl, uh, it's a V Y N Y The, the other one sells records. So don't go there <laughs> and, uh, you can see, you know, what, what we do and, and what we're about and what kind of people we're looking to hire. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for junior to senior. Having trouble finding senior front-end and full-stack engineers? Sponsoring JSLA is one of the best ways to get in front of the best JavaScript devs in Los Angeles. To learn more, head over to js.la sponsorship or send me an email at david at js.la.